0: Welcome back to A Different Life Story, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is a special day because I have got Mila Johansson with me. Mila is an author and she has written a very intriguing and beautiful book, From Cowgirl to Congress. So when I saw that title, I thought, huh. I need to meet this woman. I need to talk to her. So I've already had the pleasure of, of 15 minutes of, of bouncing things around with Mila. And I'm all excited because this is, this is such an important topic that we are talking about today. Oh, cowgirl to Congress and grandmothers and in the past suffragettes and voting. Ah, what relevance has that got today? Hell guys, today, It is so important that remember these lessons from the past, because the same shit is happening right now again. With quarantine, we have got the supposed equal opportunities and rights being completely shredded. We have got women's violence, family harm, domestic violence, going through the roof with stress levels out there. And it is a nasty, nasty world that no one wants to talk about. It is... so beautiful for me to have Mila on the show today. And it's going to be probably quite a controversial interview. And we both had a chat about that. And we both agree that it is more important to talk honestly about the truth, however uncomfortable that is, and however, it may not fit with your own belief systems, uh, either due to religion or due to your personal upbringing, or due to the, the prejudices that you have. But Mila and I have agreed that today is a day for honesty, and this may rattle your cage. Uh, if you feel so inclined, of course you can get back to us, but at the same token, maybe wonder why you're getting upset and maybe have we touched a nerve there somewhere. So, Mila, thank you so much for coming on to my show. Well
1: thank you for having me. i'm I'm honored to be here.
0: Mm. It is. What made you actually go on this journey to write about your own family? What was there, one catalyst, one thought, um, or how did that start?
1: Well, my grandmother, a very famous suffragette, and, and she marched with women until she was 94. And she took me along when she, um, in her early 90s, was speaking alongside Gloria Stein and Marla Thomas and sometimes Jane Fonda. And so she uh, raised me to be a feminist, even though when she um, died, uh, the the NOW Women, National Organization of Women came to me and they said, well, are you gonna march in her place? And I said, "Uh," I was kind of flippant and young. No, my grandmother already told me I'm emancipated from the work she did, I'm gonna go live my life. Well, as I grew older and matured, are they, yeah, they didn't like that. But as I grew older and matured, I became just like my grandmother, what I speak out against now um, after having a child and actually after marrying an organic farmer, I speak out against GMO and pesticides. So that's, that's I've become just like her, but what happened was, I. I'm the i'm the historian in the family and the archivist. So when she passed away years and years ago, decades ago, they sent me three two file cabinets full of all of her information, pictures, her memoir, everything. And just yeah, recently after, you know, raising a child and running a huge theater company and and writing all those plays behind me, I I started going through her archives about 2 years ago and then maybe 3 years ago. And I thought, I should get this book out, her memoir. She's always wanted it. And it took two months into the memoir of really working hard, five, eight hours a day, to realize that the 100th anniversary in America for women winning the vote was coming up on August 18th the next year and so I went oh my gosh this is serendipitous she must be speaking to me so I worked so hard I I just I kept going a year and a half I had to cut the book from 600 pages to be palatable to 300 pages and so so here's the book 300 pages from (laughs) cowgirl and we tried to bring her into the modern age with the uh with the Andy Warhol look you know what I mean yeah. And so anyway, and she she was modern. She was like the Amy Goodman of her time. She came from a terrible childhood in Colorado on a cattle ranch. Just, I can't, you can ask me questions about it if you want, but it was terrible. And a teacher got her into Smith College, where she graduated and went on to help put the school, her, Pulitzer School of Journalism together. Then she went, her second job was to. Help set the first minimum wage for women in America. And then they sent her down to Washington, D.C. to become the first official woman lobbyist because it was a paid job. And she set the minimum wage for the entire country of women. And, you know, they were making $4 a week and they doubled it to 8 a week. If you can imagine, Stephen, $8 a week, you know? And and she helped the factory workers, there were children going into the factory, so she helped stop that. That was another big thing about the minimum wage. And in in Washington, D.C., she met Alice Paul and Carrie Chapman-Catt and worked side-by-side with them to help women get the vote, right, At, at that time. And what people don't realize, I would have thought that Alice Paul was the hippie of the generation. She was a woman who came from a very wealthy Quaker family. And she, she came back to, to run the women's movement after getting her PhD in London at the London School of Economics. I mean, I, I just was so shocked by that. So she came back and she started this group of women and she had this house across from the White House. And she would treat it like, like she had cooks. So she would do like a cafeteria style and feed all the women while they worked. And my grandmother uh, would go and have lunch and dinner with them. And they tried to get her to join them, but she was a parliamentarian. She was working at the Capitol. And so she actually liked Carrie Chapman Cat's, who was a lot older than them. Alice and Jesse, my grandmother, were the same age. And Carrie Chapman Cat had been the young person working with Susan B. Anthony in like the 1800s. And so when Susan B. Anthony retired, she passed the baton specifically to Carrie Chapman Cat. But Carrie Chapman Cat and Alice Paul worked together, but they had a big falling out because Alice Paul only wanted to work with women and only wanted to be radical. And Carrie Chapman Catt thought they needed the parliamentarian way of doing it. And Jesse always said, without both of them, we would not have gotten the vote in 1920.
0: So, yeah. Uh, That reflects it, isn't it? That it's, uh, it's amazing what these women fought and they fought for things that we take for granted nowadays. Yet, at those times, women were chattel. Women were slaves. Women were essentially something that, yeah, you use and abuse to your pleasure. And that was unfortunately something that nowadays we have forgotten. We have forgotten why these women fought so hard and we've forgotten what rebels they were. I mean, you talk about badasses, and you think about Navy SEALs, and you think about, I don't know, all kind of things. If you go back to the suffragettes, talk about badasses there. They, these women were revolutionary. And if we see pictures of them nowadays, sort of all, you know, dressed up, well, that was the dress up code of their of their time. If you imagine them today, you would see rather different rebel like expressions. Okay, so it is amazing. Sometimes I would love to to see how these women would look nowadays, given Mm -hmm. their choice, given their their opportunity. Um, So and. There is certainly there is so much where we where we can learn from these women. I mean, how do you do you grow up in a life of servitude and often brutal violence, emotional abuse, incest, um, all these kind of things? We don't want to think about and talk about. They're taboos still. And only now in the last 10 years do we see Me Too movements or um, the French uh, incest uh, movement right now uh, coming out. So we are breaking the the last taboos, but they they were probably normal. Now people will say, what the? How can you, how dare you say that was normal? No, no. The problem is, I mean, you know probably the figures better than me, Mila. Um, there are there is a huge percentage of women that has been abused and has been raped, sexually abused. If you only just talk sexual abuse, what is it? One in one in five in American universities?
1: No. It's, well, you know, it's funny because one more thing we have to go back to those women fought against all odds because they had no rights and they they were abused and they were spit upon and they were beaten. Not all of them, but you know, a lot of them. So we have to remember that that us revolting now and doing things, you know, revolutionary was not the same because we have toilets, we have lights, we have cars and we have cell phones. They didn't have any of that and, and they organized and they got together so they went against all odds. But right now, actually when, I, I thought before Me Too, I thought it was 50% of at least my friends who had told me they had been molested, which shocked me because I, I was fortunate. My mother was always divorced, so we didn't have any men in the house, which you know, 90% of um, incest and rape happens with people you know and in your own home usually. So, but then when Me Too came, I was very surprised when more women came out that I knew and talked about it, even publicly or or told me personally. So now I know, from what I've heard, it's about seventy-five percent of women, and uh, I just I just can't believe it. It's unbelievable.
0: And that is again, this is for me as a man, who respects. Yes, I do respect women deeply, 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 um, and. That doesn't mean to say that as a young man I was not pushy and try to to bait as many women as I possibly can. I was an asshole. So okay, so let's 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 distinguish these two things. Um, but to abuse someone, to rape someone, that is a power play. This is something something awful, yet you're telling me 70%. So David advocate. Well, yeah, okay, Colorado farm, of course, yeah, maybe, maybe it's you guys down there. Do you think it's only you guys down there? Or do you think that this transcends the whole American society? And then the question, the next question must be, do you think that it transcends all Western societies?
1: I think it's um, probably everywhere. And I didn't know a lot about it, because I had never heard about it from my friends or or anybody until my grandmother, I think was the first person to tell me that she had been molested by, by her father. And, and he was a pillar of the community. And, and how she said was, you know, they're king, they're kings of the farm. We live way out in the farm and there's no one to tell and everyone respected him. And so she, she got away from that. And, but, but I think it's more than we think. I think it's, you know, cities, towns, farms, Everywhere, and I and I know it's even worse in some other countries, perhaps. I I don't know, but I think the main thing is we all need to keep our eyes open. I've been a teacher all my life, and I'm always looking to see what's going on. And the slave trade right now is bigger than ever, Stephen. Bigger than it's ever been, and and that's even our town, which is predominantly white girls are taken off the street all the time and put into the slave trade down in the cities near us. And it happens all the time. Like, like there's these malls and the girls come out and they say, Oh, I like that blouse. And you come out to my truck. And then the truck is the man, you know, but I don't want to go into that too much, but it's a big deal right here where we live. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's surprising and shocking. So I think it's everywhere, but I think if we all keep our eyes open, I, I, I was telling you earlier, and I want to say it again, that one of my students came, um, out when Me Too happened and she told the community, she goes, yeah, I was molested by someone, but he's a pillar of the community now and he's a grandfather and a father and I don't want to ruin his life. And I said, no, ruin his life. He will do it to someone else, maybe even his own grandchildren. So you must tell everyone, and this is my message to women, we must report it. And I know a lot of women have told me they thought it was their fault. That's another big deal. Hey, have you heard of this? This is. But but wait, everybody, report it. That's your job. We must stop them from doing it to someone else. But have you heard of this, Stephen? There's a museum in America and it's called What They Were Wearing. And it's, it's, yes, it's walls of what, because they say, oh, they were wearing something skimpy. Well, they weren't always wearing something skimpy. And if they were, that was not an excuse. And on the walls is the jeans and the shirt that the girl was wearing and the dress that the girl was wearing. It's all, the whole museum, I think, is walls of what the girls were wearing when they were raped or molested. Is that fantastic?
0: Mm. (laughs) How fucked up is that? That you have to have a museum? How fucked up? Wow. Um, Damn, I'm speechless. Uh, But it reflects so much. That there is something seriously, seriously wrong with a society, and I'm now not well. <clears throat> I want to say, bloody Americans—that's my prejudice towards your country—and uh, and your previous president didn't really help much there. Um, but 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 I did the hard homework uh, because it, I all of the the women I dated, all of the the the, the, the relationships I had, friends. I never heard one story and I thought maybe was I privileged that I was, you know, but I actually came from the wrong side of the tracks. I actually, I don't really say I can be privileged, man, I mean, a a fantastic evening out would be that my mum bought some chips, potato fries, basically, on a Friday and we had that with ketchup and mayonnaise and that was, wow, that was a celebration of the week. So that gives you about the level of where I grew up. So. No, yet I had not heard about any any statistics like that. So I actually went looking, and funnily enough, in Germany the incidence of rape, etc., is actually pretty much the same as in the United States. And I go, I was gobsmacked, and it just shows that things are not reported, and that uh, things are kept quiet because even those twenty percent uh, who have stated yes that has happened to me, they are probably a huge under underestimate and that is hard for me to swallow that is hard for me to swallow as a man that there is so much violence out there against women and automatically my mind wants to say no because I don't want to be seen as guilty because if that happens so much that means basically (laughs) you know some of my friends must be rapists and
1: you think they're walking among us. You know, I've read a lot of articles, and it was like the neighbor next door, the soccer teacher, you know, the one with the gymnastics teacher. And when I, when my daughter was little, I read these. And then it made me realize I don't want her around any men, even the men I know, because, because we don't know. Probably most aren't but we don't know which ones, because it's a secret society. And, and so I read, I read all these articles and I had not heard a lot about it. I mean, my grandmother told me, a few friends, but it, I, it woke me up. So I really overprotected my daughter in that sense. You know what I'm saying? And and I, I, I'm glad, I'm glad I did because she grew up without incident. And you know, another phenomenon that happened that might surprise all of you Is that when Me Too came out and everybody started talking about it, it turned out it was 75% of people that I know personally were were molested or raped. Then um, me and a few other women, we were on Facebook and we're like, okay, well, we don't want to make you guys feel bad. And we were feeling guilty that we hadn't been you know and <laughs> i know that's an odd one right so but no we survivor
0: guilt survivor guilt no, in, in no, that yeah, sense exactly
1: yeah. we were for, we were apologizing like like we don't want to make you feel bad but we weren't we just wanted you to know there's some women who weren't and me and another woman i remember we were on the same thread and we were both feeling the same way so that's another odd layer that that you know you normally wouldn't think about
0: it is <laughs> yeah no it is it is our duty to speak up there. And it is our duty to, to to be honest, to be exactly honest, there is also a duty to be careful, not every single look that someone throws at you, and appreciatively looks at your bottom and at your press is sexual harassment. That we're not just... talking
1: about that. Me, me and my friends said we really have to delineate that. I'm talking penetration. Okay, this is bad. I'm talking mm. penetration. Yeah. I'm talking when something really happens that, that. okay, the other thing I'm gonna ha- we're going to have to kind of, I mean, maybe we, I, I, I'm not the one to go for all that, to, to go against all that because there's too much of it. But I'm talking like we need to report real abuse mm. and we need and you and I and all of us need to be vigilant we need to be looking out for those young people because you know there was someone in my circle that was doing it and I was trying to warn people but people don't want to hear it it's the funniest thing you know? oh not him you know <laughs> but I I was um, I was persistent so
0: <laughs> and I think that's that's so important there is too many people have gotten away with it. And yeah, let's spell out the obvious. Yes, there are women who equally have been abusers, although these are the minority. There are, however, there's a huge amount of abuse uh, going on uh, in the LGBT community. And there's certainly a huge pressures there um, to, yeah, it's, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on underneath and, uh, or behind the white picket fence, let's put it like that. And it is it is getting worse. And I think that's the sad thing we need to accept that it's getting worse and worse and worse. And that is, especially now with increased stressors. I've, I've alluded to that at the start of the interview, because we have got quarantine in many places. So now these women are basically locked in with their abuser yeah. and they can't get out. It makes it really, really hard. And we need to say that, we need to, to, to say that. And and please, if, if anyone out there is, is feeling that they are at risk right now, then please stop that interview right now and ask yourself the hard question, are you at risk? And if you are, then please call the police. Please call social services. Please make yourself known. If you can't get out, then what, I suggest you do is you develop a tummy pain and the tummy pain typically starts around the belly button and sort of diffuse and uh, I'm not feeling well feeling a bit sick go to the toilet come back I still feel sick and after about two three hours the pain goes towards the right lower part of your tummy and that pain becomes more severe so you need to be a bit of an actor there and that is what is called appendicitis that's appendicitis. So that's the, uh, you need to see the hospital for that. And most people do know that. When you're in the hospital, that is the chance of you to speak out. Every nurse nowadays in an emergency department is trained to help there. You might find actually little cards in toilets. um, Or for example, you might be asked to give a urine sample to check for for urinary tract infection. So and I've seen in in our hospital, there is a little sign uh, to say, write your name uh, in black pen on it. If you need help with family violence, use the red pen and write your name on it.
1: I love that.
0: Such a thing. So nurses and doctors will listen to you and they are primed to help you. That is your way to get out. That is your that is a way that raises, that does not raise suspicion, but is one way to get out. So please make a mental note of that. And hopefully you never need to use that. But if you need to use it, go for it. And this is your Grammy moment, your Oscar moment. You need to be the best actress or actor that you can be in this case. Cool.
1: Boy, that's a good tool, that's really good advice. hmm.
0: No, because that. this is we. Is this yeah. the reality? And how bizarre is that that we have to give this uh, this advice, yeah. because it becomes such a such a prevalent thing. But then again, guys, let's not be real. You might you might still say no. They are talking bullshit. Seventy five percent. Let me give you other figures. One in ten people do have a personality disorder, and one in hundred people are sociopaths and psychopaths. So that's one in hundred. These people are often very amicable. These are uh, have a flair. They have they have absolutely no scruples. They are they have no remorse, no regret, no nothing. That's foreign for them. They uh, that's the reason that they do what they do. And that's one in hundred. That's quite a scary figure if you actually think about it. So your Mister Right might very well be. Mr. Wrong in all the, the 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 right places. You know what I mean. So, guys, girls, in between, don't take things for granted. If you are at risk, seek help. Speak up. Speak to someone who can help you. And and I say to someone who can help you. Regrettably, so many women when they finally speak up, as you have. It just indicated you are oh, people say no, 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 no. I don't believe you. That is, and it's this this kind of what? And I've, I've heard it from quite a few women I had on my show, and I spoke to you, to privately, who said when they finally came out and said and talked about their abuse, no one listened to them. No one believed them. I, I mean, what do you think about that? What would you say to a woman um, who has that experience?
1: I would say shout it until someone does listen and people are more ready to listen now you mm. know I mean which leads us into the cancel society because we got to be careful about that too but but I think that that you need to speak out and the, and if you can't speak out for yourself think that you're speaking out for the next person in line for this person mm. think of think of the children think think of you know the next woman and mm. and this person they can't go on like this and and, and often they they repeat offenders Mm-hmm. and so I mean it's a mode of operandum. and and it's it, and it can be a power play but it can be other things too. we got to remember that boys are in in risk too so I've seen that too so we we just need to be vigilant and look out for each other and and we need to encourage everyone to tell on people let's just let's make it open that that okay that guy did that I'm sorry that's what happened And if you don't believe me well I'm gonna say it again then until you believe me but see most people are going to believe you now Mm. and um, what happened to one of my friends was she was going to Stanford University oh I I better not speak about this (laughs) sorry anyway but something happened to her and then no one believed it happened and they were saying well what were you wearing well she was wearing jeans and a a blouse I mean it wasn't even anything it wasn't Mm. even short you know so that's why I love that museum (laughs) you know Mm. it's 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 just that we need to all look out for each other and mm. and just know that it could be happening to your neighbor, to, mm. Mm. to your niece, to someone and, and we just keep our eyes open. you mm. know what I mean? And I think for one thing, everybody needs to exercise because then they'd feel their endorphins. so <laughs> that would help a lot of a lot of people you know.
0: <laughs> so then let's look at the flip side. If you're now shouting out everywhere, that whatever you believe is, is abuse, you say it. So will there not be false positives? Will there not be will you not destroy men, their reputation, their livelihood? Will you not send them to suicide? Because you have actually falsely accused them. Because the picture was actually, you thought what you saw was right. This is abuse. Because you were thinking abuse, 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 yet it was not. It was, and there was no penetration. There was not nothing. Um, what do you say about that?
1: Well, we have to be careful. I think. I think. I think the main thing is, if there is something, report it. And if not, then I mean, some things we have to. You can. We we speak up and say, "Hey, I don't like that. Stop that." You know, that mm. kind of thing too. Mm. For for the more benign. <laughs> events but I and it's important because I'm a woman I I'm a blonde and I've had so many men come after me I just pretty much ignore them you know and if they touch me well then they've had it you know yeah, exactly. so, so yeah yeah and and I grew up in LA I grew up in gangland I I grew up a uh, very very poor and my my brother didn't make it out and so we We grew up um, probably poor white trash in a way, you know, and my mother was a teacher and she had no idea what was going on. She'd leave at five in the the morning and she'd Mm. come back at five and I had to do all the housework. I was kind of the Cinderella. So I've been writing this book called the Cinderella monologues (laughs) about my childhood in LA and gangland and how I grew up. I was kind of, naive and stupid and i was kind of like like really innocent so i i didn't really do all the things the other girls did you know i was and i was tall so boys didn't want to date me so i was really lucky compared to you know what happened to my friends and and so i i i and i was raised partially by my grandmother who had huge values and philosophy and and took me with her when she made all these wonderful speeches but but i i really I really saw a lot, I saw a lot happen. And, and so we have to remember that we we don't know what someone else's road to hoe was, we don't know where they came from, and what they did, you know, you can't assume because someone has a certain color of hair or skin that they've gone through this and that and the other thing, we have to be open to everybody, because, because I grew up probably poorer than most people. We didn't even have dinner sometimes. And, and and But then I married a farmer. I went to college in Northern California and I married a farmer and now I have all the food I've ever, I'd ever want. So you never know what's gonna happen to you. My grandmother and I were, were similar in that way where we came from very tough childhoods to becoming very successful women. And now I teach writing and I, I make speeches all over the world and I, I, I'm just like her. She taught me to speak. And and I, I I write I teach people to write the short book so that they don't have to write the long book. And I'm really in <laughs> into doing that. It's so fun. And you know, being raised by my grandmother, she was a joy. She'd tell me these stories all her life. And she she gave me everything. We were so in love with each other that when I went to college, we wrote each other page and a half, two page long letters every week. And I have them all in a notebook. I might put them in a book someday. Beautiful. I know because we were loved, oh granny, I love you so much. What are you doing today? I miss you. And she'd say, Oh, and I'm so proud of how you're growing up and you're in college. You know, we were just, we were just complete soulmates.
0: Wow. Wow. And how beautiful is that. It just shows that that there is a, a whole generation that unfortunately soon will pass where we could learn so much from. Where it is, and I think it is. I'm I'm blessed because I'm an anesthetist and I I work in private. So, I there are a lot of joint replacements, a lot of people who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s who are now coming to us and they get the second lease of life because we take their pain away and and they become they they, they drop ten years in age and and it's beautiful to see that, but equally. I take the time to listen to to their stories, and sometimes their stories are so awe inspiring and beautiful. And these are often people they have never never taught or told their story, and so therefore to have someone like you infusing people to write and come up at least with a short version of it that is so 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 beautiful. That is, and especially no, I have a,
1: yeah, go ahead. Now oh, I you, have a- I have a suggestion. I, when, I don't know why, but when I was 21, I was wise enough to go to my grandmother and record her for two hours a day for two weeks. And I tell this story, Granny, tell that story. And I have those tapes. And right before that, another woman was interviewing her for a book called From Parlor to Prison, which is about five women who were on the front lines. And because Jesse was Parlor and some other women went to prison. And so I'm encouraging everyone to go now yeah. with your phone. You can record with your phone now. That's a, I'm making my voiceovers on my phone lately and they've been really good. So you can record people's stories before they're gone on your phone and get them down because you can write them up later. But I encourage everyone to do that. Find the person in your life who means a lot to you. Who's who's older in the mm. eighties, yeah. nineties, even older
0: yeah. and
1: go record them now. Yeah,
0: that's exactly it. I've uh, When we were hit by the quarantine in March here, I realized from the lessons that Italy learned the hard way that we're killing a whole elderly generation. So I made a point of getting in touch with with uh, people in my extended family and try to get, you know, uh, links and and talk to them, etc. Interestingly enough, there was very inter- very little interest of people actually to talk to me, but I made the oh. effort. I made the effort and say, look, yeah, tell me tell me about. Um, about you know ancestry, etc. We had uh, I had created this large family tree and tell me who was with whom, etc. And very few people were interested in that. And that that is that is fact. So it's just it is what it is. And there are many people who actually have got a lot of skeletons in their closets, so they are not interested of airing their dirty washing. That is something that we also have to to accept. Not everyone is willing to talk. My mother never talked to me about her. When I asked her about, about things, she became very defensive. Um, you know, when I was born, that was the middle of Vietnam War. How did you feel about that, etc.? And oh, boy boy. Now, at first she was apolitical. She probably had no idea about the Vietnam War, but she was in in bad circumstances there herself. And so she said, Well, I was more busy trying not to kill myself. Whoa, that was a Uh, stopped there. And then she didn't want to talk about anymore. So whilst this is a beautiful, beautiful advice, and I I absolutely second you, um, I ran into some walls trying to do exactly that. And so we can't force people to talk. After all, the people who came from the Second World, back from the Second World War, they were called the silent generation for a reason. They did not want to talk about their experiences. So therefore, it's so beautiful to see you being able to have all that historical primary sources and, and work with them and, and be able to reflect what your grandma has gone through and see the parallels that we have, that's happening today with everything that we have t- uh, touched upon from, from the incest to the sexual abuse to the slave trade. Something that you think slave trade, what the hell? Now, you were you touched upon a subject that is probably not so well known out there, and we probably need to make that well known. There is a huge slave trade going on as we speak, and that is not. Yeah. and that is um, if I, I follow Choco or Willink. Um, he's, a, he's a Navy SEAL who does some as written some fantastic books. But he had, for example, a guest who is ex-special forces and who has got an organization who is trying to hunt down uh, s- slaves, uh, missing young people, yeah. and the amount, the figures that he quotes are mind boggling. And that is just in California in, 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 in areas where you think, come on, you're kidding me. But now there is so much shit going on. And, and that is, these are the examples that I've heard that I've read about that you have mentioned, but there will be so many, many, many more in poorer countries, the Africa, the African countries, uh, some Eastern Europe and the Asian countries. Um in, in
1: California too. I mean it's it's rampant everywhere. It it right here in California, which is, you know, you, you just wouldn't think that. I was so surprised when I when I first learned that. But you know, I do want to tell everyone that no matter where you came from and no matter what has happened to you, you can be anything. Anything. Mm. And, and there's so many people who come from dire backgrounds, but they become, you know, successful, and they're teachers, and they're instigators, and they're business people. So we can all become anything, no matter what we've come from. And I really want people to know that because nothing is a stigma, especially anymore. It's like it's like <laughs> what we are is what we are, you know.
0: And it's interesting, though, because you and I, we use being, I wasn't trailer trash. I think that's that's the next level <laughs> below me. Um, but I, uh, we, we come from poorer circumstances. And to a certain degree, we both are proud that we have walked out away from that, that we have climbed out of that that situation and became the people who we are with all the scars, with all the kind of things. And we recognize that the hardships have actually created us, created the people that are right now here having this interview. And I think this is beautiful. And along that journey, there was a lot of trauma and along that journey was a lot of alcohol. So I marinated, I tried to preserve all <laughs> everything in me, as well preserved as you can see. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so bottom line is, yes, you make mistakes. And you have done some really shitty things in your life. That was the past. The past does not equal the future. So I like the way that Mila, you have just turned this, this, the focus of this interview around, because I think we could talk for hours about the things that are wrong in the society. But we could also talk for hours about the steps that you have taken, and that Jesse has taken to change their lives. What were the key lessons that you learned from your grandmother? What were, if you tried to distill them down? If, what do you think, if she had a time capsule, what do you think her message to you would have been?
1: Well, to persevere, become educated, she liked that, Mm. and to speak out. And you know, I believe firmly that if she was here now, she would be joining me against GMO and pesticides, which is you know ruining the oceans yeah. uh, and 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 everything and and probably um causing disease in our children. And it's just it's just unbelievable that we have found to spray these poisons. So I think she would work with me on that. And I think I, I wasn't going to be like her at all, but I have become her completely, you know, she was an old, when I knew her, she was an older woman who wore huge hats, lots of jewelry and smelled a little funny, right? Cause everybody was afraid to shower back then. They were afraid of slipping because she was, you know, in her nineties. And so I, I, I realized from this book, not until I got into the book, that she was a young, vibrant woman on the edge of everything. I don't know how she ended up on the edge of everything. After the women got the vote in 1920, she went to England, and she spoke all over London with George Bernard Shaw, who was a very odd egg. You know, he was a teetotaler and a vegetarian and a Christian scientist. And, and then she met Lady Astor, who became her best friend. And Lady Astor was a American from Virginia. I was floored when I learned that. And she became the first woman to sit in parliament where she sat for 28 years. She helped women, children, and laborers. And she and George Bernard Shaw were best friends, Lady Astor and Bernard. And so then my, my grandmother met the queen. She has a really funny story about meeting the queen and influencing her Queen Mary. And then she came back to DC and started speech classes for women. And she wrote a book that became so popular Time to Speak Up, that she had to tour the whole United States and speak in front of 2,000 people at a time and sell her book. And then Eleanor Roosevelt got into her book and what she was doing. So Eleanor Roosevelt spoke with her on the podium several times. They hung out all the time. And then Eleanor would let her bring her students to the White House to practice. I mean, it was crazy. It was It was like, like she always was there on the front lines doing everything and then later on in her early 90s taking me along when she spoke with Gloria Steinem and Marlo Thomas and I got to meet them I I was young and and naive I I didn't know what was going on I, oh how do you do you know kind of thing but I love that I went with her and then later on because I met Jane Fonda through her I worked for Jane Fonda and um Jane Fonda had a summer camp for kids up in the hills above Santa Barbara and the cool thing was she'd bring all these act. I, I was the drama teacher. I was just out of college. And she would bring these actors up to teach instead of me for the day. All kinds of actors, like the guy from Animal House and Cher. And, and then <laughs> Paul Winter with his wolves came one day. But the cool thing was that the horses were off the lot of Hollywood. There were 13 horses. And they were famous horses from the cowboy movies. There was um, Tom and and Jerry and they were the ones who pulled all the carts they were big white horses and they put and they they put us on them and one day they said okay Mila we're going on a 3 day ride on the horses so come along as the camp counselor so I went along and the horse like stood next to me while I slept it was like having a dog it was so wonderful because they were so trained from Hollywood and then I had her daughter Vanessa Named after Vanessa Redgrave in my cabin. And everyone said, Oh no, you have Vanessa. She's 10, but she runs the camp. And I said, Oh, well, probably not with me. And so I was, so the first day she was there and she was, she looked really defiant. And I sat down and read her a book, Hope for the Flowers and by the end of the book she was my friend and we did our skit that night and she was such a fine actress at age 10 that i made her the lead in the little skit and we brought the house down at the camp so i, I had this great time and jane fonda was <laughs> lovely oh you want to hear the funniest story she was the most lovely person she would be working in hollywood and movies and she'd come up for the weekend i think she was married to tom hayden then and she would go to her place and rehearse her lines well one night she comes in and i had told the girls okay we're going to go skinny dipping tonight. You know, they're all 10. Half of from Caesar Chavez camps and half were from Hollywood. And so we're all lined up with our towels and our robes, you know, with nothing underneath. And, and Jane Fonda comes in from Hollywood. It's about 10 or 11 at night. And she comes into the room. She goes, well, what's going on? And I was a little flippant then. And I go we're on our way to the pool to go skinny dipping. And if you don't wanna come with us, get out of the way. I don't know how I knew to say that. So she goes, oh, well, up the, oh, okay. And she backs off and we all go to the pool. And I told the kids, you gotta be quiet because the boys' cabins are right there. And as soon as, of course, as soon as they hit the water, <laughs> they scream their heads off and we were busted.
0: <laughs> priceless, priceless. But this was a the time there were no cameras around. Yes. God. Right. How beautiful is that? You can actually be silly and foolish without too many consequences. How beautiful is that? Imagine that today you would have bloody... Before you even go dry with the towel, you're on the internet. And it's just... Oh, God. I I, I feel sad for this generation. Because... Yeah there there is not that possibility to have fun in an in a, a pro, in some certain sense, circumstances, uh, consequence free environment, the skinny dipping, who the hell cares, have fun, be cheeky, etc. Okay, so now it's beautiful. It's beautiful, beautiful to, to hear that story. <laughs> I need to ask you as a as a as a, f- a feminist revolutionary uh woman who were protecting her daughter uh tremendously how do you feel about um the fact that at least in, my, in New Zealand here 80% of of teenagers are sending around nudes of themselves and often sexually explicit pictures how what do you think about it
1: well i There's a lot of layers. I don't know. But I think they're asking for trouble in some areas, you know, because here's the deal. Some people think they're talking to another teenager Mm -hmm. and it's been proven that there's sometimes they're talking to the big old big guy that's older and they don't know it. So I think that's a problem. And you know, a lot of people have been kidnapped from meeting people online like that. So I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I mean, we used to run around naked at the rivers and the creeks when I was young. But so I, I mean, I mean, I, I can't judge it completely. But I, what I think, what I would look at is the danger.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: More like who's watching them, who's stalking them, mm-hmm. in a sense. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So
0: hundred percent, hundred percent. Being German, um, in if you go to a lake, part of the lake uh, shore would be uh, signed off FKK. So that's where you're nude. Uh, yeah. end of the story so if you walk in there with your pants on people say oi um, makes you a <laughs> your kind of a thing so strip down same in a sauna you don't go in with anything on you're naked in a sauna in Germany so warning right. for you for you you guys uh, so if you end up there don't be surprised um, but the reality is that is normal so please it is normal to show your body and to be natural about it that's that's one thing but i mean my my son uh not too long ago had uh, a had suddenly his a good friend of his said don't open that mail don't open that picture don't open don't 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 and turns out that he was basically had two conversations one with a girl and more or less at the same time uh he was somehow communicating with my son and uh so there, there he had an erection, took a picture of that, sent that to the girl, and uh, by accident sent it much to, much to hey? that's too
1: much. Yeah. Uh, and, uh,
0: uh, and you think, come on, what the hell? What yeah. are you kidding me? And yeah. and then I I said exactly that. That response came out of my mouth to to my son, and he said, Yeah, that's that's you know, 80%, 70, 80 percent of the people he knows. Are doing that and as boys yeah. and girls and you think shit and my my comment was exactly like that you don't know where these figures uh, where these uh pictures end up you don't know what happens to them no. and there are no. enough enough there's enough su- uh, suffering out there where teenagers suddenly had their little romantic uh pictures or films suddenly found on Pornhub, hub etc and for them their lives are destroyed or they feel like that and huh <sighs> Do not take these freaking pictures. Do not let anyone film you. It's as, as simple as that. But
1: well, it's wisdom. They need a little more wisdom. I I think they need to study a little more history because you know, if we if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. And I think that they're not studying history like I think society should. Don't you agree with that, Stephen? hundred oh, I mean, percent. As
0: hundred percent. And that's that. That's the problem. We are. We are not just fed uh, the victor's history. So always the, the winner, the victor will write the history. So we are no longer just getting that. We're not even getting that. We're getting the highlights in, uh, in, in films on Hollywood. And that's nowadays passes as history education. And you just think, fuck off, honestly. And it's the problem, that's, that's, what, that's why I love history. I love history to bits because it is like a big puzzle piece, and you—yes, you, I love it too. Isn't it? You're starting to become this kind of detective, and it becomes nearly like it, like an addiction, yeah. because you're yeah. actually—you read something. This is the official history of X, and the stuff that I read in my history books when I was in the 80s at school—that's Oh, that's cool. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, we had the baddies, the Germans. Okay, that's fine. The Americans couldn't have done anything wrong. And then you start reading memoirs of common soldiers who have been there, done that. And suddenly you read a little side sentence. Seemingly the Canadians didn't have time for prisoners. And you read, what? And then you realize that actually in that area of uh, of the advance of the Canadians and Americans in the Second World War, the Canadians didn't take prisoners. They, every, every German got shot, boom. and. Oops, uh, I didn't read that in my in my history books. Uh, and it's something like that. And where you suddenly realize, hang on, there is a different story out there. There's a different narrative out there. There is actually so much more. And we don't know that nowadays. Nowadays, the children, what do they do? My, ch- my children, they had the choice of doing a few little snippets of history. One was sort of the slave trade. One was uh, civil rights in the, in the 60s. And there was one more. I, uh, there was. They had uh, some Second World War. They had to Crete, um, and Crete because that is New Zealand had a, had a big battle there. That's it. That's pretty much what they knew about history. And I think, well, it, I, how can you make informed decisions nowadays? You need to learn what has truly happened, and then you can take comments of people like Trump and actually see them for what they are. Bullshit. And see what happens in other countries, Turkey, Poland, which now rewrites its story and makes it illegal to say that any Pole has done anything wrong in the Second World War. No way. It's illegal to state that same in the Turkey now. So suddenly, if you do not know the truth, wait another generation, and the truth has been forgotten. Yes. So okay that's that's my
1: yeah yeah that's good for a long time i thought i thought i should quit everything i'm doing and just teach history because i felt like we were losing it and i thought and i had a good way of doing it you know you do i I got into history because someone handed me a novel on the French Revolution and Marie Antoinette. You know, she was sold into marriage by her mother who had 12 children, kept the eldest for king and sold the rest to, for treaties for her country. She loved the country more. <laughs> so what happened is I, I got so interested in it. It was written by a Russian psychiatrist and he oh. really got into the, 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 the weeds of it. And so I... I started reading only history. I was reading fantasy before that. I could never read another fantasy book ever again. And so it got me into history. So I thought, wow, here's how I teach history. I get everyone a novel, but really not a novel. Well, it could be a novel or a history, but maybe novels that are historical novels, you know? And they're more interesting. Read this, read this, read this, read this. And then you're gonna do a report on it and teach us the rest of that history. So they become speakers and they read that book and that's my way i would teach history for a while i thought i should stop everything i'm doing and do that i thought it was the most important thing
0: <laughs> i think right now what we can do is we can't change the whole world and we can't change the, the everyone's belief in history because for most people history is oh, boring uh, no, but what we can do is we can actually talk about the issues that we face nowadays and say, well, actually, did you know that our forebears had exactly the same issues and worse? Look at that that stage in history. And that's how my grandma actually came through. And that's coming back full circle here, cowgirl to Congress. That's That's what you have done. And for that, I commend you. And for that, this is so beautiful to to speak to a fellow history nerd, fellow author, fellow, uh, I don't mind speaking the truth. Uh, On the contrary, I see it as my duty to speak the truth. And that is beautiful. That is refreshing in nowadays times when so many prejudices are far more important so many social conceptions and misconceptions are are kept so more important Where people only listen to those things that confirms their own prejudices. And that's so wrong. That's so wrong. That's why we need to speak up and be out there. But we need to be out there. We need to listen. Two ears, one mouth, use them in the same ratio listen to what other people are say, think about it, and then give feedback. That might be something that maybe you guys can do out there. So dear listeners, dear viewers, hey, it is if you want to to change society, if you want to make this world a little bit better, if you want to come on the same journey that Mila and I are on, then then do so and and see what is happening in your immediate environment. See what you can do. And you can lead with integrity and humility. And the integrity is really you need to live a life where other people say, wow, that's really cool. How do you do that? And for that, you need to have a clear vision. For that, you need to have a dream. So start with the dream. Start with what do you want to actually be? Who do you want to be when you grow up? And it doesn't matter if you're 16 or 60. Um, and make a call, and then create this vision. Make it very, very detailed, that vision, and then start working on that vision. Make it a mission. Make little habits every day, single, small bits. The principle of the five-minute gardener, okay? Don't go out there once in a year to eight hours in a garden, then you can't move for three days because your back hurts. No, do five minutes every day. And you will be amazed what your garden looks like. Um, It's the same thing with your life, you'll be amazed how your life will change. If you actually put your mind to something and create that habit, create those little micro habits, and suddenly your life changes. And your life changes, your life changes, and suddenly, if you get into writing, you have got a bookshelf like Mila behind you there. Oh, that's scary, that's bloody scary. But I mean, there's, there's my bookshelf for crying out loud. What well, is a free four books? In all fairness, I haven't got any of my cookbooks well, up there. Stephen, but
1: I, I should say that what I teach is the short book, and what I teach is 20 minutes a day is all we ask.
0: Oh, ah, perfect.
1: say to people. If you don't have 20 minutes, you write for five minutes a day. And Toni Morrison, an American authorist, yeah. I think yeah. she's American. She wrote her first first book for five minutes a day because that's all she had raising children. So if if you can only go to the gym for 20 minutes, you don't have to go for two hours. Go for 20 minutes. Correct. But, you can write a book five minutes a day. You will have a book, I promise you. And that is what I'm teaching right now. And I'm so excited. About it. I have to tell you one more really funny story. Sure. I teach theater to the kids. And I taught it for 38 years. And, and every once in a while, they complain. And I teach Shakespeare. And every once in a while, they complain. And I go, excuse me, uh, do you have a toilet? And they go, yeah. I go, how many? Two, three. All right. I never want to hear you complain again. Because ah. I teach the slime and grime of Shakespeare's time.
0: <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> exactly. So, and that's, again, that's where we can think about history in everyday's life and actually think where do these things come from and, and how... How beautiful life is nowadays uh, compared with others, but th- that's a different story. That's a different, different philosophical <laughs> attitude. But I think the the micro habits don't don't think too big. Yes, set huge goals. I have no problem with that, but m- goals that are smart, that are measurable, and that are that you can take small steps every day to get your life together again and live a life that you want to live. That, that, that life that you dream of. And, and don't ask yourself, oh, why can't I do that? Ask yourself, how can I do that? What can I do? And what can you do right now? Once, once we finish that interview, I want you to press the subscribe button down there, okay? important. <laughs> then I want you to think, how was that with Mila? Do I like her? Do I like what I've heard of her? And yeah, chances are yes, because you stuck through the whole interview till now. So I want you to go down there into the description of the interview because you get all her social media handles there and all her links are down there. So please check her out, go out there. If you liked that that, uh, that beautiful book, uh, what we have been so alluding to, go there, get yourself a copy of the book uh, and and check it out. It is a beautiful, beautiful journey uh, that Mila describes and I uh, hope you, you have got as much uh, fun reading it as I had. And so lots of things you can do right now. And then once you've done them, then I want you to create your mission and your vision. And so on. you can do that life is too short. Fuck's sake, let's get out there. Let's, let's create this life that then shines as a torch in the darkness of others. And let them see, okay, there is hope. Let us be merchants of hope to you. And then I want you to do a snowball effect and become a merchant of hope to others in your small environment who you can touch because that's how we make this world a better place. One little deed, one little action, one little book at a time, one little interview at a time. <laughs> Mila, it was fantastic. If you were if you were to send one time capsule back to your younger self, what would you advise yourself to do?
1: Oh, gosh, that's hard. But maybe don't sweat the small stuff and... You can be anything.
0: It sounds like cliches, but it's so important, isn't it? It's virtually, I ask most of my, my my guests, I ask them the same question. And essentially, it boils pretty much down to that. We all have got the same message. So you are today, interview 140 something. So oh. 140 people before you have all said the same thing. So guys... Maybe there is something there. Maybe it could just be true. So if you want to model yourself on people who have gone through shit and came out the other end and are now different, better people, if we all come up with the same messages, maybe it should rattle your cage, eh? (laughs) Good. Mila. That was a fantastic interview. I am so, so pleased that I have met you and that you have let your light shine in my interview here. I wish you all the best for the future. I can't wait to see your new adventures and your new new things coming out. So um, I will most definitely stay in touch with you. Thank you so much for being on my show. That's all I can say.
1: Thank you. It's it's been a great honor, and you're a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> Thank you. And
1: wise. You're, you have a lot of wisdom.
0: Oh dear me, dear me. My wife disagrees a lot with that, but hey, that's I can live with that. <laughs> <That's called laughs> like, oh, true, touche. <laughs> you guys out there, make this make this day worthwhile living. Carpe diem. Okay, look after yourself. Bye. Dream on.